Welcome, everybody, to episode 72 of The Shortlist. I'm your host, Johnny Campbell, CEO and co-founder of Social Talents. And you're very welcome to this week's episode, where we're going to be talking about trans inclusion and belonging in the TA space. So everyone deserves to be their authentic self at work and in life. God forbid I couldn't be my authentic self. Um, but for many trans people, the fear of stigma and discrimination can lead to devastating consequences when it comes to looking for employment, uh, job satisfaction, and just general emotional well-being. And despite a growing awareness of the struggles that trans individuals face, many employers are simply still ill-equipped to make the changes uh, and be educated on matters that would create a more inclusive and supportive workplace culture. But what can be done? Well, joining us today to discuss these, this important topic is my good friend, Joanna Lockwood. And Joanna is an inclusion and belonging specialist and founder of Sea Change Happen, a consultancy you should explain a little bit more about in a second. And looking through the lens of TA, Joanne will share with us tactical advice in creating a more inclusive employee life cycle and also help you, our audience, hopefully better understand the challenges that trans people face in the workplace and how you can best support them. Joe, welcome to the show. It's an absolute pleasure to have you. I can't believe uh, we haven't had a, an episode together in the nearly two years that we've been running the shortest. And it's just wonderful to have you here. Can you perhaps introduce yourself, give us a little bit of background on the business you run and the work you do with organizations and people in this community? Firstly, Johnny, thank you so much for inviting me on. It's been an absolute pleasure to be invited. And uh, you're right, I don't know how we haven't had this uh, happen before. Uh, but yeah, I guess COVID, we've, we've not bumped into each other at the various events. So yeah, so as you said, my name is Joanne, Joanne Lockwood, and I describe myself as an, an inclusion and belonging specialist. So I work with organizations, uh, I, I, I describe the organizations I work with as people people. So that's talent acquisition, uh, L&D, OD, uh, HR, D&I departments, helping create what, what I've coined as, as a PPE, a positive people experience, either in their candidates, in the, in the uh, accessible pipelines, creating open and fair opportunity, working with HR to look at policies and processes uh, around diversity inclusion, and of course, working with organizational development to look at how we can bring those processes across the entire organization rather than just focusing on uh, HR or candidates. So, so again, that, that PP, that positive people experience, no matter where you come in contact with the people, because uh, it's not just employees, it's not just customers, it's around the whole brand and the whole purpose of an organization. And Joe, this is probably, you know, it's important to underscore that you work in the general inclusion space and work with organizations on more themes uh, than perhaps just the, the, the trans community. Um, but it is an area that we wanted to shine a spotlight on today because and I get I get that most organizations are working hard to be much more inclusive these days. And, and often they tend to focus on one or two areas. And we've brought this up on other shows. We've talked about perhaps the lack of uh, focus that is put on disabilities and neurodiversity. And there are so many areas of difference that organizations and, and the people working those organizations uh, are, are struggling to get their heads around uh, uh, these days in terms of, you know, you have to try and be aware of so many differences in the organization. I think it's important to highlight the fact that at its core, you work on just being inclusive, which doesn't, it doesn't, it ignores all those differences because being inclusive, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, as you see it, is just about accepting all the differences that are in the workforce and society and, and the approaches to being inclusive um, 
don't really change much. You know, you're being inclusive towards someone from their gender, for their race, for their background, for their beliefs. It's 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 just being inclusive. It's a it's it's a it's a way of thinking and working that is that that, that transcends these different uh, differences. Would that be fair? I think at a very high level, I, I I completely get what you're saying there. But I think when we talk about being inclusive, it's about being person-centric, understanding what motivates, what challenges an individual. So to say that inclusion is the same for everybody misreads the, the situation. It's, it's When we talk about providing equity, that's recognising that different people from different backgrounds, different ethnicities, faiths, intersectionality kicks in. We have to recognise we need to be very person-centric. So one size does not fit all. So being inclusive per se maybe doesn't fit that one size so we've got to be really careful here we don't we don't just put in blanket policies believing we're inclusive without understanding the nuances and the needs of the individual so yes fundamentally it's about treating people fairly treating people with respect giving people opportunity uh, understanding the challenges they they face for showing up we talk about this uh, when we talk about privilege it's it's around understanding the the, the, the their particular characteristic may have a uh, a disadvantage in in terms of social acceptance in terms of social capital in terms of structural inclusion so and without beating up on the straight white guy straight white guy top of the tree generally in the western world in terms of privilege and the further you, you are away from being straight being white being male the further or the more challenges you have and it's not you know as i often say to people it's not about the challenges you've gone through it's about the challenges you haven't had to go through as as, as a man, as a, as, a, as a white person. Me as a white person, I haven't ever faced racism in, that, in those terms. So when I show up, I have my own characteristic bite. But I'm never disadvantaged because of the colour of my skin uh, or, or my upbringing. I was never disadvantaged at school because of the colour of my skin. So it's those things I haven't had to go through. So it's really important when we're thinking about inclusion is to recognise the challenges of the individual. And that's where I think organisations... Maybe need to focus a little bit more of is, is thinking about the different the different types of people. Yes, fundamentally we're all human beings, but we know in society privilege does exist, and that and I think we've got also got to recognise that whatever we do in the workplace often mirrors society. So the challenges we have maybe in in the UK, in Ireland, in Western Europe are different to the challenges we have maybe in Australia, uh, Saudi Arabia, the, the Middle East, uh, Southern Africa, whatever it may be. So recognizing there are nuances if you're in a global organization looking at the dni priorities globally is a challenge and you have, have to often have to look at it territorially so yeah bring it back to trans if you like we look, we look at how the lgbt community the broader lgbt community has variable protection under law in countries around the world i think there's still 70 odd countries where being gay is criminalized and a group of proportionist countries also criminalise female to female uh, lesbian behaviour as well. So we've got to be we've got to recognise that there are many territories in the world that still have these these challenges. And I think a quarter of the world believe that being LGBTQ plus is it should be should be made unlawful. So that's a quarter of the world believe that. And those are frightening statistics. We're in, we're in 2021, and I don't see fundamentally huge steps forward. Uh, you know, we look at the previous administration in the United States. We look at how that administration was rolling back 
LGBTQ plus rights, trans specifically in more, in more detail. We look at Poland, we look at Hungary, we look at what's going on in Ukraine, in Russia, and other territories around the world in, in the Middle East. We're not seeing any advances in LGBTQ plus rights. And when we take out trans out of that, we look at trans as, as a separate entity. We're not going forward at all. In fact, in the UK, mm. I would say we're, we're going backwards. We're, we're struggling to hold the rope and hold our ground at the moment. There's a huge upswell of pull against trans rights. And yes, we may argue that that is a very small minority of people, but that small minority of people are very well funded, very vocal, very loud, and seem to have the ear of politicians and the mainstream media. And that's really, really hard to push back against. And it's psychologically damaging for trans people and their allies to read this material, read this rhetoric, and this these challenges on a day by day basis because it, it is daily. It's, it's you know it's not it's, it's not something you read here and there. It's an onslaught, and there are well organised organisations. And I, I've spoken to editors uh, of some of the key broadsheet papers, and they they've told me that they will print pro trans articles if I provide them because they're being bombarded with anti trans articles on a daily basis. But the pro trans articles, it, it's not news. Yeah, I get up in the morning, make my make my make my coffee, do a great day's work, come home at night, watch telly, go to bed. is not great news, but that's the that's the lived experience of many trans people. But they've you can always find a negative story, and that's what they're bombarding uh, the mainstream media with, and that that's the challenges we face. And this is not this is this is not niche media. This is the BBC. This is the Times, the Telegraph, the Guardian, the Observer, all of the mainstream papers and organisations in the UK. Are all carrying similar stories and that that's that's and i'm just talking about the uk here so we think about what's going on in poland and hungary and other territories um i believe in ireland it's not so bad you know from what i understand trans inclusion ireland you've you had uh, your own modification to the gender recognition act whatever whatever it's called in, in ireland and people can change their their uh, gender markers without the complexity we have in the uk uh, there are some countries, I think Malta and Denmark, and a few others in the in, in in mainland Europe, also have that rights. But for the majority of trans people around the world, it's a complex procedure. It's been pathologized, medicalized, requires psychiatric intervention. There's waiting lists and queues um, to be seen by, by by medical people, which again is pushing it back onto trans people and impacting their their mental health, their psychological safety, just to exist in society. And as I said at the beginning, workplace mirrors society. So what we're seeing going on in society will bleed into the workplace. And it, it may not be that everybody in the organization has a, has a even has an opinion, but they will be aware of this undercurrent of anti-trans rhetoric that's going on. And I think it's important to point that out, and Joe, thanks for doing so, which is that until you understand someone's lived experience, you probably don't really understand their community, their background, and, and they don't all, you know, you say to somebody is black, somebody is white, somebody's male, somebody's female, someone's trans, someone's gay, someone's straight. It's not the same for everybody, even within that within that label, that we are all different. And, and I'm so glad you came on the show today because I think a lot of folks out there just don't understand this community enough. Um, they've maybe ne never talked to somebody from this community. They're reading the press, which, as you say, is overwhelmingly negative because negative press sells. That's what 
gets promoted on Facebook. It's unfortunately the world that we seem to live in. And you're right, there are there are better signs in some countries. What well, it's worrying what's happening in Eastern Europe. I totally agree with you. It's just going so backwards. I thought 10 years ago that we were all making progress on these issues. I really felt that. Because maybe from my experience in Ireland, I felt Ireland was making progress as having grown up as a teenager where you know being gay was illegal in Ireland and could get you thrown into jail. It didn't change till I was maybe 16. Um, so whilst it is better now, it's it's still recent enough where it, there has been change, has been recent enough. But to see it goes go backwards is dangerous. You mentioned the news. I want to bring up some news stories to explore a little more and less on the negative news stories, more on hopefully news stories that can shine a light on the community and its struggles and the potential for doing good. So let, let's jump into our first one here, which is from Total Jobs. And this one um, is a is a kind of uh, report on some research that Total Jobs did um, to follow up on research that they did five years prior uh, on the trans community in the workplace. And um, it was on trans experiences, understanding the community in the workplace. And just as a high level, I want to call out some stuff here and get your thoughts on it to see, is this what you see with the companies you work with? Um, it's saying that you know half of trans people didn't reveal their gender identity at work. Uh, and that was back in the survey in 2016. And that's risen to 65%. So five years ago, half of those surveyed, there was 400 people surveyed in this. So it's a decent number, statistically valid number. That's gone backwards to your point. So that's now two thirds not revealing their gender identity. What are your thoughts behind that? Is that what you're seeing out there? Is that what you mean by you know, your fear things are going backwards. Yes, yeah, certainly. I, mean, I remember the Total Job Survey back in 2016 because I actually did some work with Total Jobs at the time and helped write an article to sort of bring bring their stats to life. And I, I came out, I was open about my identity in mid-2016, and I felt that the world had turned a corner, certainly in the UK, that I felt I was feeling safe. And you know, we were on the clock for five years. And in the UK, I mean, let's talk about the UK because that, that's my field, real field of expertise. The, the government, the Conservative government at the time, looked at revamping the Gender Recognition Act. Gender Recognition Act 2004 is a simple piece of legislation that allows a trans person to change their birth certificate. Um, and what they wanted to do was simplify that process. What that generated was a lot of discord in society, in the media. And this is where the birth of some of these uh, anti-trans groups struck came up from because they they conflated simplifying the gender recognition process with something called self-id and self-determination which they falsely identified meant that anybody could just become a woman at any time and then change back and then become a woman again and it, it would allow predatory people to um to use this as an excuse which yeah we can all see that is is, is a complete uh, uh smokescreen but so that that's that's that came to fruition around 2018 this is when the yeah you know, this is when this negativity started and so we've now seen this negativity grow and grow and grow and these well-organized groups in society in the media as I, as I said is it no wonder that trans people are now more aware of their identity and, and their place in the world they're internalizing their own negativity, their own tra internalizing transphobia. They're almost believing what they're being told, that they're being triggered by reading articles on Twitter and the mainstream media. Is it no wonder that they, they, they mistrust maybe their employer? Because they don't know whether their employer is a is, is a follower of these the, the anti-trans rhetoric or a positive uh, hmm. uh, 
around trans people. So it's, unless the organisation themselves have a clear external presence that is is demonstrating their, their trans-inclusive status, then I'm going to be nervous. I, 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 I worry about when I walk into a room, you know, one of the other stats, I don't know if you've got it, is that 86% of people said they were they were positive or or neutral on trans inclusion. And I always say, well, what about the remaining 14 or 15%? Because when I walk into a room of 100 people, the chances are 10 or 15 of those people are anti-trans. If I sit on a bus, sit on a train, walk into a new company. So I've always got these stats in my mind. So I'm looking around the room, trying to work out if I'm going to be accepted, if, I'm, if, if every time I use the toilet, am I going to be challenged? If mm. I make a comment, am I going to be challenged by that? So I don't think it's any wonder that people are more afraid now to to be open about their identity. And I think the stats also mirror for LGB people. You know, we're still seeing people in university being happy to be themselves, talk about their sexuality, living a free life, but putting themselves back in the closet to get their first job until they trust their employer. And then they'll maybe open the door slightly and creep out. So it's not just trans, it's the whole LGBT community are still feeling that they've got to be cautious about their existence. But certainly, yeah, looking at the total job survey, um, the fact we've gone backwards, it, it doesn't surprise me at all because because of this negative rhetoric in the UK and we see in in, in, in Eastern Europe. I, it's, you know, I, I've been a recruiter where I've been on assignments and asked by the client to, to uncover someone's sexuality, to confirm a suspicion, which is mental right this maybe maybe in 10 years ago 15 years ago the last time i recruited and was asked such a question but i know i know what happened then and you know thankfully in the most the last example ever happened um it was actually not a negative thing but the person wanted to just you know prepare the interviewer so that they weren't you know uh, surprised by 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 what they hired because they were hired remotely but it could have gone the other way and they still the person didn't have the right to ask it but, you know, people were doing it then. I suspect they're still doing it now. And we're recruiting this. This this pops up, right? Um, there, there. This issue of 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 you know coming out, revealing yourself in the workplace. You know, we we talked about it a few episodes ago on on the shortlist. Uh, how it has such a negative impact on whether someone really does truly good work. It, it's holding back potential by having this thing hidden. And you know, if if two thirds of the workforce in the trans community. Are holding themselves back that's that's a whole lot of people it's millions of people not working at capacity you mentioned 2016 and that being a, a seminal year for you um uh, joe and your identity how did it play out for you you know what did you face support you know or, or find yourself being very supported by colleagues by by clients you worked with at the time or what was your own experience and what 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 made you decide that that was the time uh to 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 reveal yourself to to your customers to your colleagues well, my uh, coming out, you know, professional coming out was, uh, it wasn't that simple. I, I ran my own business. I was a, a third shareholder, co-director. We'd been running this IT organization for together for 15 odd years. And during the, the latter part of that, I was aware of my senior colleagues' thoughts on transgender people. Uh, we, we worked in a shared office space in a unit in a, in a, you know, with other with 10, 15, 20 other companies and somebody in an engineering firm within that, within that building transitioned. They were, they were being open and out. And the owner of that business 
often used to come into our office just to, you know, like owners do, they share their stories and, and talk and they were, they were sharing their, their, their challenges with this trans person. And I, I the, the language pretty, pretty quickly turned you know, very negative. You know, they were talking about this person was referred to it, a thing. Um, it's, there's a lot of empathy going to the business owner saying, well, it's, it's terrible. You're going to have to put up with that thing working for you, going out and visiting customers and nothing you can do about it. So I'm, I'm sitting around the table listening to my, my business partners, my colleagues use this language. And I wasn't, this was probably two or three years before I was out. And I look back and I'm ashamed of myself for saying silent, for not saying anything, for not going up to this person and offering my support. But at the time I was, I was, so far under you know in the closet I, I didn't say anything and it ate away with me and i i heard my colleagues make these remarks on the times one of my female senior colleagues said that thing has done something horrible in the toilets you know etc etc and it's like and i was just the longer i sat around the table at the board meetings and these in these planning meetings working with my colleagues the less and less respect i have for them it just ate away from me and and i got to the point where I didn't want to work in my own business. I didn't want to work in that business. I, I want, I'm not, I'm not saying I wanted my business to fail, but I wanted my colleagues to fail. And mm. it was kind of, it was really eating away from me. I, I lost all respect. And when I finally became open about my identity, it wasn't, um, I didn't, I wouldn't say I chose to do it. It became this unstoppable force inside me that one day I just had to open the box and, the box blew apart and it was a really, really, I describe it as a necessity at the time. And I didn't, I didn't share that at work. I, I came out on Facebook and yeah, Facebook is, it has a lot of leakage. So I'm, I'm I, with hindsight, I'm probably, I'm fairly certain my colleagues weren't ignorant of the fact that I posted something on Facebook, even though I deleted it. Uh, they never said anything to me. I never said anything to them. And then about two or three months later, um, one of my business partners said, uh, Joe, I'm thinking about where we go with the business in a few years' time. And I've got some ideas. And what I'd really like to do is take it on on my own. And I'd like to buy you out. And I thought, okay, that was, uh, that's good. I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy to, uh, to consider that. Uh, I was looking to get out anyway. I was on many occasions, I was looking to, I even thought about just walking away because I, I really had no respect for the people I was working for anymore. I just mm-hmm. thought I just got to get out of it. So they have to buy me out. That was like any business buyout. It was a, it's like a bare, bare knuckle fight at times. Lots of blood on the on the canvas. You know, take it to the edge, negotiating. Um, and it finally came out about my gender identity uh, in the last throes of the negotiation, and because they were pushing me to find out what's going to do next, they were, they were really worried that I was going to set up a competing organisation back into IT, and that was their that was their that was their big concern, get rid of me. But they didn't want me competing. So they were really pushing me what I was going to do next. And I said, well, I don't know. I don't know. I, you know. And they said, why don't you just tell us you're trans and we can just get it out there. And I thought, yeah. So <laughs> right at the death blow, it sort of came out. But by that point, it was too late. I already knew what they thought inside their head. No matter what they said, you know, I challenged them on some of their thoughts that I'd heard them say. And they said, no, 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 we didn't say that. We didn't, we didn't mean it. I thought, oh. So you're, you're full of BS as well. Okay, mm-hmm. fine. Uh, so I took the money. It wasn't a fortune. It was like a, a good redundancy package. Um, but yeah, so but I was at the time when I was going through this this challenge, I was because I knew what my colleagues thought, my senior, my, my business partners thought. 
I was concerned about having to come out to all of my customers. And, you know, we were a small business. We were we were doing, what, 1.2 million, something like that. We had a wages, VAT, all the stuff, all the things you've got to pay. And we weren't we weren't rolling in it. We weren't making huge profits. We were just, just bumbling along. So the impact of something that major on me as a, as a major fee earner, uh, client liaison, I was worried that I would damage the business. Also, as a as a as a manager leader, I had to lead my team, and if it impacted my ability to lead the team, then I was worried about that. It's, you know, I almost thought if I was an employee, I could just push it onto the company to deal with. Mm. But because I was kind of owning it, I I had to almost like take responsibility for myself to help myself and to, and to worry about my impact on everybody. So that was what was going through my head at the time. And I I didn't have any particular reason to think my customers wouldn't be accepting, but I also appreciated the fact that there was likely to be those conversations. And I was I didn't want to be exhausted by having to go, yeah, it's true. And oh, by the way, and it's you know, 40 or 50 customers, it's just I just decided it was too exhausting. Too exhausting. And so bottling it, taking the money, running, in a way it worked for me so yeah i was but it was i'm sure there are many other yeah trans people who've, who've been in similar situations either an owner or as a as an employee that face with the same dilemma it's just that that fear you know we all, we all know mm. that everything you ever desire is on the other side of fear that fear of being rejected that fear of being discriminated against that fear of rejection all of that stuff is piling on your head and you just want to run away and scream and, and hide and just let me yeah so yeah, I, I ran away. I took the money and ran. In, in a way, I'm, with hindsight, but best it, decision but I ever made. <laughs> but it's, it's understandable from the context. Like the same Total Jobs article points out that fifty six percent of trans people believe it's harder for them to find a job. Um, so you know, again, you're looking at your financial prospects. You're looking at your perceived ability to get a job, and more than half of trans people in the survey saying. You know they're thinking it's harder to find that job if they're out in public in in in, in their workplace environment so you mentioned earlier though joe that if you are you know interested in attracting trans talent and being open to trans talent and you know hopefully taking advantage of other companies lack of awareness and trying to attract them you were saying you need to position yourself and demonstrate you are a trans friendly employer tell me about how how an organization should go about doing that um i don't want to just point out the obvious stuff tell us about what works what have you seen that works that actually would positively affect uh application rates in the trans community and um give companies a real advantage in a perhaps overlooked community all right let me let me unpack that total jobs thing about the 56 percent believe it's hard to find a job so when i first sold my business i just i thought well Let's go back into IT contracting. Let's look for an interim position just to well, figure out what to do. And I had some very open conversations with agency recruiters, uh, explained about my gender identity, and I said to them, how does that fit? You know, and, and almost all of them were candid enough to say it would have a severe impact on my employability. This mm. was agency recruiters being very honest, and mm. quite a few of them. Some of these are big brands, big names. You'd have heard of them said that it limited their their scope for clients they could put me forward to so whether that was knowing the client 
and their bias or whether it was their own bias that they 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 weren't willing to put me forward to because it, how it, how would it reflect on them so yeah i, I had it from the horse's mouth from agency recruiters and i i even did a a true event uh, a true london event um probably back in 2017 or 18 and i was talking about trans inclusion and the people in the room who are yeah as you know in house agency different sort of recruiters so when I, so people in the room actually said, yeah, you'd be a tough person to place. You know, you're, mm. you're, you're not the easy candidate. And I've stood on stage and I have a slide behind me and it says, so would you hire me? And I, and I throw it to the audience and say, come on, would you hire me? And you can see people go, oh, yeah, we're an inclusive company. But secretly they go, hmm, yeah, hmm. And, and that's, that's yeah, I know that that's what people are thinking. So let's not mm. let's not beat around the bush here. Mm. Not everybody, not every. I, I appreciate there are many companies out there that don't think that way, but there are many hiring managers, many agency recruiters, uh, many many organisations who do a double take. Mm. So you say, what can organisations do? Well, be honest. Be honest that this is what's happening. Be honest with yourself to say you're not giving gender diverse individuals, gay people, lesbians, queer people, black people um disabled people you're not giving them genuine opportunity um, so you can educate your staff yes you can run lunch and learns yes you can do trans 101 yes you can you can do all of this but what you've got to do is recognize the lived experience the struggles that trans people face you know workplace mirror society the stuff's going on in society the pressures that you feel and how can you be genuinely inclusive who is championing it who is who is is, is owning this internally do you have a, a staff network an erg that for uh, a pride network where trans representation is part of that pride network are you proud of your trans people are you featuring them are you spotlighting them are you amplifying them are there senior trans people or are we just talking about trans people on the tills on the coal face or are we actually seeing trans people progressing in the organization so if you're not and you know i i hear people trying to hire their way into diversity yeah, mm. but we've got to look at your, your existing people. And if you employ 100 people and you say, well, we don't have any trans people here, well, statistically, 6 to 10% identifies LGB, 1 to 2% identifies trans or gender diverse. So if, you, if you're not seeing that level of representation, ask yourself why. Either you've been statistically unlucky to never recruit someone who's LGBT or people are too frightened to come out. So it's about fixing your internal culture first. So let's not try and hire people if your culture is broken. Don't don't bring me in for an interview and then make me feel uncomfortable. Don't bring me in for an interview and misgender me on the phone because my voice is deep. Don't give me the double take and go, you're not quite the Joanne I was expecting. And you know, that that look you get. So I want to walk in, I want to feel embraced, I want to feel celebrated. I want to, I want people to I don't want to have to hide my transiness, if you like. I want to, mm. I'm quite proud to be out and open. And many trans people are. It's part of who I am. So, you know, when you say, you know, I don't see colour, I don't see gender, I don't see all this. Sort of, what you're doing is you're erasing a part of me by not seeing me. And I know there are plenty of trans people out there that, that want to submerge their transness and be seen as a woman or be seen as a man or be seen as non-binary. But recognising that some people are quite happy to be open. You know, we don't all have the, the privilege of passing, the privilege of looking like we're not trans recognizing that not everybody is male or female 
recognizing that there are non-binary people out there, there are gender fluid people out there. So does your process work? Yeah, do the forms? I still see some shocking application forms. Yeah, the first question is gender, and it's hmm. male, female, trans man, trans woman, uh, gender queer. And I think, no, 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 those aren't genders. Those are descriptions. So it's male, female, non-binary. Do you identify the same as which you were assigned at birth? Yes or no? That tells them that I'm a woman and that I don't identify it as I was assigned at birth. So therefore, mm. you could deduce from that on trans woman. So you mm. ask the questions in a very polite way, matter of fact. And I've seen some shocking uh, narratives around the question, which effectively other, they create the, this trans people as being other. And so look at the documentation, look at your application forms, look at, look at your website, hold a mirror up, ask, ask trans groups, you know, pay a trans consultant to take a look at you and say, would I apply here? Does the healthcare, is it, is it, is the healthcare fair? Does it support same-sex marriage? Does it support adoptions from same-sex couples? Does it support IVF? Does it support gender diversity, surgery, et cetera, et cetera? And surgery is not every, every trans person's destination, but it is for some. And it's how you respect that. It's important. You know, I've, you know, I've, I've had a hair transplant recently, which technically is surgery. So the surgery comes in different ways. Mental health, we need to think about, have you got support? Uh, I've, I've worked with companies over the last few weeks and, 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 and further before where they've had some of the trans colleagues have been misgendered at work. And it's caused that, that colleague to feel significantly impacted. So what, what's the company result? What's the company's response? Is it quick to respond, stamping on it, suspending the person who was the perpetrator? Is it offering counseling? Is it offering support? Or do they just panic at the time and go, what do we do now? Which mm -hmm. is the impact of the two companies I, I dealt with recently. They didn't know they didn't have the first process. So it's, it's building those relationships up with 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 counseling, coaching, with trans specialisms, looking at your red lines, looking at your acceptable language policies, looking at what is discrimination, what you see as bullying and harassment, making sure that people understand your uh, the employee's responsibility for working in our office means that this is what the company believes, this is how we want our employees to behave. So there's no misunderstanding if if misgendering has occurred, bullying occurs, joking or banter occurs. We're absolutely dead clear on this. There is there is a red line there, and you've crossed it. I'm sorry, and that to us is gross misconduct. Uh, this isn't the place for you. So it, it requires that level of intolerance to transphobic behaviour. In the same way, we have the same intolerance is racism, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I'm not trying to equivalence transphobia with racism. We've got our own challenges, but we've got to decide what is what is or isn't acceptable. If it's not acceptable, stamp it out. So all of this is a collection of culture changes. And what we don't want to do is, is little performative tweaks, a quick lunch and learn, a quick trans 101, and expect everything to be fixed. We need to really look at it, look at the lived experience, involve staff who are trans or gender diverse, involve external consultants and pay them properly to come and look at your processes and test it out uh, and do and do an audit if, if that's what that's what it takes and, and implement the recommendations and, and i your appreciate comment, yeah sorry joe i was gonna say your comment of performative tweaks brings me on to just if i can squeeze it in another article we were looking at which which was published in the wall street journal recently um which itself is normally quite a conservative 
right-wing publication. Let's be be honest here. Um, but they the articles about why gender pronouns are becoming a big deal at work. And, you know, there is a comment or an opinion in that, that perhaps some organizations or individuals who are, have begun using gender pronouns, their email signatures, their Zoom, um, et cetera, are just doing that, being performative, performative, just kind of saying, ticking a box and not really going deeper than that. Um, yet, you know, I know that recently in our organization, we rolled out our good uh, friend, uh, Sam Arwadani's training on allyship. And in that, she puts it in the perspective, which I thought was wonderful. And uh, the article repeats it here that, you know, it isn't about you when you put down your gender pronouns. It's about saying that I am, it's revealing that you're, you're, you're open to that conversation. You're somebody who understands, you're an ally for that community. That when you list your gender pronouns on an email signature, on a Zoom, it's not about you, right? This isn't about me saying he, him. I'm not sitting here thinking somebody needs to go, is Johnny referred as he or him? That's not what it's about. Uh, that you do it so you you're giving license to others to understand that you're you, you know you you're 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 an accepting person you understand um or want to understand uh, that community and that's what it's about it's about allyship um what are your thoughts on some of the ideas proposed by the wall street journal article and we'll share the link in the show notes and on online to those listening live to check it out and make their own decisions because it can be quite controversial you typically don't get universal acceptance. And the companies in the article, I think all of them have said that they've made it optional. They don't want to enforce this on any employee to do, but they've seen great acceptance that it's building. And LinkedIn, they mentioned, of course, has introduced the ability to add uh, your gender pronouns on LinkedIn profiles. But what are your thoughts around some of these topics? Because you've mentioned it a couple of times already in the last few minutes. Yeah, first of all, can I just say that your explanation was absolutely top-notch perfect and i couldn't have said it better myself the it's not about you it's about how you what you're communicating to other it's the same as a a rainbow flag in in the cafe window it says this cafe is safe this person is safe and i i actually say to people who come to me and say should i put my pronouns on my profile uh, and my response which often shocks people is no you shouldn't because if you feel you have to ask that question you haven't truly understood your part in in that responsibility so being an ally is not performative being an ally is understanding what sharing those pronouns means and as you say it's about saying that i i understand the issues i understand why it's important to normalize the sharing of pronouns in society so yeah full stop uh, and i completely agree that organizations should not make sharing of pronouns uh compulsory it should be an optional thing i've had conversations with people of privilege and we won't i won't go any deeper than that who argue and say it's 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 the world gone crazy i don't see why i should have to share my pronouns i don't see why we have to have this this new language coming in where it's it's, it's becoming trendy and and kind of um snowflake territory and i and i said that's fine you don't have to get it i don't i don't i don't expect you to get it so please don't and and i i know that when i look at you and your, your linkedin profile you haven't done it I'll be more wary. That's fine. I'll go. I'll go with my suit of armor on, and I'll be. I'll be tooled up, ready for the ready for the discussion. Um, but when I'm when I'm browsing on LinkedIn, when I when I, when I join a Zoom call, and I see people's pronouns there. I, you and I both got our pronouns on this uh, on the Streamyard. It says to me that we, we, we're here. We're showing up. Uh, I don't have to explain myself. I don't have to. I feel I don't have to say, oh, hi, my name is Joanne Lockwood. I use the pronouns she, her, because I've got them here. It says there. Uh, and when I stand up on stage, I've got my slide deck, and it says Joanne Lockwood, she, her. So I'm, I'm announcing it in other ways. 
and it, it does it creates this safe space it means that i'm i'm free to be me and i can tell who else is is, is positive but and i i also know the, the the length some companies have had to go to to have this pronoun policy approved hmm. you know we think about huge organizations marketing brand the layers of management the layers of complication to get something like this approved so when a company of a, a global company has makes this statement i know that this wasn't a kind of like yeah let's just do it they put this through legal and they put this through legal in in all continents of the world to make this happen so that really says to me that this company really does care globally. They may not get it right everywhere, but they've actually done something here. And so I've seen solicitors and law firms, big brands, who now have their, their staff have it on their email signature. And I think, yeah, you've really, you've really done that because that person wouldn't be allowed to do it without corporate approval. So, yeah, so I think there is a significant amount of respect where large companies do this because it, I know what they've been through to get it to happen. So they've really thought about it as an organization. So that's that's really powerful. I, I think smaller organizations, maybe we're looking at the SME market, we're looking at uh, organizations that maybe haven't haven't thought about this. It may seem like a lot of work for them, or, or maybe they're worried about the impact it'll have on their clients. What will people think of me if I share my pronouns? It's, again, it's all about me, 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 what, what about me? Um, so it's about, yeah, it's, it's about just trying to educate and normalize pronoun sharing society because not everybody identifies as as male or female there are people who are non-binary non-binary people don't all use they them pronouns there's lots of neo pronouns there's a and various other neo pronouns if you haven't come across those do google neo pronouns neo pronouns and also i've seen a lot of people who are non-english first language speakers now putting their uh, their first language pronouns in their signature so people are french people are german so again, that, that signpost to me that they're not native English speakers. So that's also mm. a benefit. Mm. Uh, and we don't all have a typical Anglo-Saxon Western name. So there are many people from different ethnicities. You, as an English person, I can't tell their gender or even guess their gender from their name. So by sharing pronouns, it also allows non-English first language speakers and non anglo-saxon type names to identify their gender if they so wish so i think there's a whole load of benefits beyond just the lgbtq plus community about bringing acceptance and inclusion into the world um i know many female friends who are joe and they often get misgendered uh and then we can there's many other names where even i've got some female friends who even have joe uh, and they get misgendered all the time you know so i think i think it does help um, have that conversation and it, it's a, it goes way beyond just the LGBT community. We're, we're, I can't believe we're at time, Joe. I could genuinely chat for much longer. I've had an education and it's been fascinating talking to you and uh, I think you articulate um, some of the challenges, some of the fears and some of the practical ways we can overcome them really, really well. And you've done that today. I thank you for that. Hopefully that's been an education, an insight to our audience and helped individuals who want to do something really think about what they can do before you go as i do with all of our guests on the show i'd love if you could leave us with a piece of advice your tip for our shortlist of tips um it being the 72nd tip to add to the shortlist um what piece of advice would you leave our audience that either you have gathered from your own experience or you have had passed on to you from others that resonates with you when we think about trans people, I think 
don't just focus on the trans individual. A trans person has a family, they have colleagues. And I know from my experience, my wife went through a huge trauma herself and her workplace didn't see that. So if the work of her workplace had put in trans inclusion policies, she would have been far happier as the wife of a trans person to be out and open because she was very scared to bring me to the company barbecue, to take me to the Christmas party for fear of what would happen, whether I, I, you know, they misgender me or they, they stigmatize her. So I think the bit of advice I would give is think beyond the person in front of you and think about the entire 360 around around the people and understand that the the trauma that life that very long-term colleagues may have when they've known me for 30 or 40 years how they suddenly got to get used to a new me and they may, may well need counseling as well so as i say the biggest bit of advice is don't just look at the individual trans person mm. think about the 360 that's what i would say to people i love that it moves it from being one to two percent being multiply that by four by five by six by those who are going to be touched by that a family member or a friend who might want to ask questions who might want to just say i want to work for an organization who supports friends like mine family members like mine um even though we don't necessarily have someone who identifies like that open in the workplace um, we certainly will have people who are touched by that so that's a great great piece of advice joe thanks so much for coming on the show Let's have you back next year. Um, love to continue the conversation. Be wonderfully enlightening. And I really thank you for being candid and open and honest and sharing your story here as well today, Joe. Uh, really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Appreciate it, Johnny. Thank you. And thank you for listening, taking the time um, here with us today on episode number 72. I'm going to ask you to perhaps give a little bit more time to an event we're running in a couple of weeks that I'm hoping you will find uh, of interest and worth 90 minutes of your time. Our latest Social Talent Live is happening in November. It comes up on November 18th, so it's uh, just shy of three weeks away. And it runs on the 18th of November at 4 p.m. UK Irish time, 11 a.m. on the East Coast of the US, 8 a.m. on the West Coast. It's a free event to register for. And we'll be talking about hiring at scale during the Great Resignation. We've mentioned the Great Resignation many times here in the show, but we're going to have a panel of guests, uh, two panels and an interview in the middle. We've got Barbara Lee, who is uh, SVP of HR with Nielsen Entertainment Group. We've got Kim Pope, who's the Chief Operating Officer of Wilson HCG. Kevin Blair, who's VP of Global Talent Acquisition with Salonis, based out of Germany. And Daniel Monaghan, who's VP of Global Talent Acquisition and Mobility with Uber, joining us with our friends and guests, uh, Bev Kay and Jason Lawrence and myself, to basically run those panels and interviews to get different opinions on, you know, why why the great resignation? What's causing it? Why are people leaving in droves their jobs? Um, how can we stem that? And then what do organizations do to recruit the talent you'll need to fill that with some case studies and stories being told? So go to socialtalent.com forward slash live socialtalent.com forward slash live to register for free now but before then come back next week we have another show show 73 will be back with us next wednesday our first of november and we're going to be talking about talent strategy for hypergrowth. so keeping with that same theme another perspective and this time from peter colson who is a manager in the global of global talent acquisition for spotify so peter's uh, in a very high growth organization at the moment spotify doing wonderful things all around the world and growing like crazy and their talent strategy is very much affected by the great resignation and just general growth of their product and services out there and peter's going to be talking to me a little bit about the talent strategy he looks at in an organization like Spotify that is growing through hypergrowth and hiring through hypergrowth. 
And you can find out more and register by going to socialtalent.com forward slash the shortlist or just subscribe if you're listening to the podcast now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Or if you're joining us live on YouTube or LinkedIn, come back this time next week. We'll be at the same place for you to have a chance to join the live conversation with Peter and myself uh, next Wednesday. So thanks for joining us this week. It's been a pleasure having you join us with your comments. Good or bad, we accept all the comments that come into us on the live part of the show. If you haven't listened to us live, do try and join us next week or in the coming weeks. Um, but if not, check out our podcast. Hopefully it will enlighten you as to how talent is progressing in 21, 22. Some of the great ideas that, that are out there in the market, how leaders are coping with these issues, how advocates like Joanne are coping with these issues, and how you can transform your organization to build better teams for your workplace. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you.